Hello, and welcome to episode two of It Depends. I am Kevin Goldsmith. I'm the author of It Depends, writing on technology leadership from 2012 to 2022. This week, uh, it's a lot shorter episode than, than last week. This is a one of the shorter chapters. I thought a little bit about how I wanted to handle these um, because there are some that are quite short. Uh, and I thought maybe I'd gang those up uh, with the preceding or, or, or following chapter. I haven't quite decided. I think I personally do not mind a, a shorter po- podcast every once in a while. I While I certainly enjoy longer podcasts, um, I also have a problem. There's only so many hours I have to listen in a week. And so a lot of one hour or one plus hour podcasts, I really get behind on all the things I want to listen to. So I don't mind a shorter podcast from now and now and then. And so that, that I decided for this week, uh, that'll be what we do. I also want to update this podcast is two weeks after the prior. That's the, that's the tempo I'm going to keep. If for those of you who also didn't read the newsletter, which you should, again, that's covering different material. It's covering different chapters than this is. That's covering the book out of order. This is covering the book in order. For those of you who read the newsletter, you saw, you know, I'm trying to alternate podcasts one week, a newsletter the following week. And so hopefully uh, that cadence works. Again, a podcast every week is great, but there's only so many hours you have to listen in a week. And, and I'm sure there's other things you would also like to listen to or maybe even like to listen to more, which is fine. So this week we're going to talk about or listen to uh, the challenge of top-down change and Microsoft layoffs, which are originally wrote in 2014. And I want to give you a little bit of background around it. It sort of came at a very, I wrote this at a sort of interesting juncture in my career where I had been a sort of dev lead or team lead and then kind of moved into engineering manager and senior engineering manager leading larger teams and then become a director when I was at Adobe. And I've been a director there for a couple of years and then moved to Spotify where I started as a director, was later promoted to VP. And when I wrote this, I think I, I still, I was kind of in this transitionary phase moving from being a leader of a single team to being a leader of multiple teams. At this point, I'd already been doing that for, you know, for three years, but I still remembered what it was like when I was a team lead or an engineering manager kind of responsible for my team, I talked a lot about creating positive change in your organization. But because I was a team lead, I talked about the efficacy of doing that bottom up because that was the position I was in, was trying to affect change in a larger organization, be it at Microsoft or or Adobe, but from the position of being an individual contributor or, uh, or managing a single team. Then I became a director. Now I'm responsible for a larger organization, and I had the ability to affect change. You know, I continued to kind of push change up into the organization, but I also had the ability to sort of affect change more locally, on a, but on a bigger scale. And this article captures that in between time, because a lot of the things I wrote about prior to 2012, prior to what's in this book, was about this kind of growing organizational change from the bottom up uh, versus top down. And I still had a, a pretty strong skepticism of top down change. And you you see that reflected a little bit in this article. But 
the article is also considering what is effective top-down change, especially in a very large company. Uh, I talk about Satya Nadella at Microsoft. Uh, I talk about Yahoo and those their attempts at that time. There, if you don't remember, because this was now ten years ago, Marissa Meyer was trying to do a, a pretty big culture shift at Yahoo. Yahoo had already kind of had its heyday. Marissa Meyer came in with a, a goal of kind of reinventing the company. Meanwhile, Steve Ballmer had had stepped aside for Satya Nadella. So Marissa Meyer had come in to, to Yahoo uh, new. Satya Nadella had come up through the organization at, at Microsoft. Two very different perspectives, also uh, two different people with different approaches to change. And so this was, at the time me kind of looking at how they would affect these this organizational change. I was, to be honest, very skeptical that Satya Nadella would be able to affect the change he was trying to create, partially because I'd worked at Microsoft for eight years. I knew what Microsoft was like and what he at least was talking about, the kind of culture he wanted to build. I thought the people who were in positions of power in that company came up in a very different environment. The Microsoft I worked at under Bill Gates and then Steve Ballmer was a highly competitive, nearly, I, I used to call it kind of Klingon, the, the classic example. If you've seen, there's a, a org chart diagram which shows org charts of different companies and then shows Microsoft and each part of the org has a gun pointing at the other. That was accurate in my experience and in different parts of that company. So I was very skeptical that Satya Nadella, no matter how much institutional knowledge he had, he'd also come up through that environment. So I was one skeptical that that was really the change he wanted to make because that was not the structure, that was not the culture he was successful in, but also whether he would be able to influence others who had become successful in that culture to change who they were. Of course, it is many years now later I have friends that have been at Microsoft the whole time. They they tell me, no, for real, this is a, it's a very different company. I am more than happy to believe that. Uh, maybe that's responsible for Microsoft's not deep slide into irrelevancy, but still continuing to be an important company in the industry. And while it isn't talked about as as the same kind of innovator it was at one point, it cannot be denied. It's it flirts with being the most valuable company in the world. So doing fine. Yahoo, Marissa Meyer did, was not successful, left the company. We don't talk about Yahoo. So that's the intro I wanted to give uh, around this. Um, I will also remind you, uh, the book is coming out on March 4th. You can now pre-order it. The pre-order links for Kindle are on itdependsbook.net. So you can get a link to that, or you can just search on Amazon for it. I'm hoping to be able to have the uh, bookshop.org pre-order link very soon. And as soon as I have it, I'll share that with you. Also, if you want to sign up for the newsletter, again, please do. KevinGoldsmith.substack.com. All these things are, well, buy the book, please. But, you know, the newsletter's free. This podcast doesn't have our advertising. So now we'll listen to me reading The Challenge of Top-Down Change and the Microsoft Layoffs. After this relatively short chapter, I'll come back. I've received a couple questions from you all. Thank you very much. I will answer those questions 
after the chapter. If you have questions, and it could be about this chapter, it could be about the first chapter, it could be about anything you want to talk about the industry, very happy to do that. You can write me at contact at itdependsbook.net. Thank you. The Challenge of Top-Down Change and the Microsoft Layoffs, originally published on July 18, 2014. In my talks on engineering culture, I often discuss how to improve an existing culture or fix a broken one. I advocate for a bottom-up approach for large organizations to create actual culture change. I have a few reasons for this. Number one, individual contributors or first-level managers are frequently my primary audience. I want to give them tools that they can use to affect change in their larger organizations. Two, bottom-up change takes longer, but is more likely to be genuinely transformative. Moreover, because the whole organization invests, eventually, it has a better chance of long-term success. Number three, in a large organization, when a cultural change or any kind of disruptive change is pushed from the senior leadership down, it tends to fail because the middle managers have usually attained their position by being successful in the old culture. This success bias makes them less likely to embrace change and more likely to only go through the motions while actively managing up to make it seem like they are participating. Almost every time I advocate for this bottom-up approach, I get a question asking if top-down change can also be effective. Sometimes this comes from a senior executive looking to lead change in the organization. When Steve Ballmer was trying to turn Microsoft's culture from competitive to cooperative with his one Microsoft plan, I would claim that the chance of it succeeding was nearly zero, for the third reason I mentioned. Having worked at Microsoft in the 90s and early 2000s, I know the culture through which many of the then-Microsoft executives and middle managers rose. Microsoft spent decades building a highly competitive culture. A restructure and top-down initiatives to encourage collaboration were unlikely to reverse decades of competition. I pointed to the approach Marissa Meyer took at Yahoo as having a better chance of success. Yahoo was implementing new review policies that seemed harsh to many in the company. These new review policies arrived with silent layoffs, a significant effort to eliminate people in the company who were uninterested in the new culture. While this seemed unreasonably severe, it made a clear point. This was the new culture, and there was no tolerance for the old way of working. In the memo that Satya Nadella sent to Microsoft on July 18, 2014, outlining the layoffs that he was undertaking, one section caught my eye. In addition, we plan to have fewer layers of management, both top-down and sideways, to accelerate the flow of information and decision-making. This includes flattening organizations and increasing the span of control of people managers. In addition, our business processes and support models will be more lean and efficient with greater trust between teams. This strategy differed sharply from Steve Ballmer's approach to culture change. Coupled with the largest layoff in the company's history was a clear message that a central target was the company's management. Moreover, the layoff seemed to underline the seriousness of the change. Flattening hierarchies and removing managers would eliminate or weaken those most likely to fight the cultural shift. I think this has a much better chance for success than the one Microsoft approach, but it is still not guaranteed. 
Changing how 100,000 people approach their jobs is a hugely difficult task, after all. The house-cleaning approach may be a successful tactic in affecting cultural change in a large organization, but it is also perilous. The morale implications are significant. It would be most effective in a do-or-die situation where drastic action is necessary to save the company. There is an argument that Yahoo was in this position when Marissa Meyer joined the company. From the folks I know at Yahoo, the aftermath of the shakeup produced a feeling of confidence and hope for the future. Microsoft is not in a dire situation. While many in the industry and the press see the company sliding into irrelevancy, it is still amazingly profitable. This radical restructuring combined with layoffs may be greeted with significantly less enthusiasm from the employees. Satya Nadella may be taking advantage of his honeymoon period here, and that may be the thing that saves this. I will continue to follow the progress of both leaders and companies as they try to evolve. It will be fascinating and instructive. I hope they are successful for the Microsoft and Yahoo employees' sake. Update. The changes at Yahoo were not enough to save the company's position in the industry, and Marissa Meyer is no longer the CEO. My friends at Microsoft tell me that the company's culture has changed significantly from the Gates-Balmer era under Satya Nadella. So there you go. A relatively short chapter. I realized I didn't put a date on that update uh, on that blog post. And it was not for the book. It was way before that. So I think it was 2016, maybe 2017, uh, that that update that happens at the end of the chapter was written. I don't know why I didn't date it. It's weird. Anyway, so I mentioned uh, I got a couple questions, which I very much appreciate. Thank you. Uh, in both cases, the authors did not say it was okay to use their names, so I'm not going to. If it's okay to use your name, please tell me. And if you say, well, you can use my first name or something, that's fine. I, I'm not going to use your name unless you explicitly tell me to. So the first question I got was this. Sometimes you talk about specific companies that you worked at and specific experiences that you had there. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes you say, a company I used to work at, or I worked at this company that. And why is that? The, uh, you'll, you'll see a very clear pattern in, in which companies I name and which companies I don't. And very specifically, it's because I won't publicly shame a company, even you know if I'm talking about things I you know, don't like. It's because I won't shame a company I worked at, uh, that did things I didn't like partially because, you know, my experience is obviously not the experience of, of other people. My experience at Microsoft, when I, when I started, I think there was like 18,000 people. When I left, there was over a hundred thousand people. It's a very different company. And my experience and my perception of that company being what part of the organization I was in was going to be very different from, from anybody else's. But certainly people in, in, in other parts of the organization, even as a smaller company like Adobe, same thing. And I will say, sometimes I decline to name a company and then I do name it in different articles 
And it is very much, I will talk about positive things a company does, and then I will name the company and I won't talk about negative things the company does and, and name the company unless it's a very public thing or whether I am not providing any sort of insider information. If I'm talking about a, a company that did something bad that's in the news that I heard about in the news, then yeah, I'll, I'll name it um, because I don't have any specific kind of insider info there. So anyway, that's why sometimes I will name a company, sometimes I won't. But if I talk about a company I worked at, you can just look at my LinkedIn or look at my resume, my CV, which is on my website, and you can figure out for which company I'm talking about. It's I haven't worked that many places. The other question I got was you included a bunch of things you wrote in in these 10 years, but not everything. What did you leave out? And the answer is originally I when I was first putting it together, I didn't leave out much of anything because I was worried about honestly just having enough to talk about or there were blog posts I thought or articles I thought were good that I wanted to include. After reading through it many times, which I did as part of this editing process, I realized some articles weren't really that great and didn't need to be in a book. There is a blog post I wrote about how being a bass player makes you a better team lead. I did that for fun. It's it's I, I'm not going to disavow it. I wrote it. It's just not a great article. It was me having some fun. So you know I, that went on to Dev Noon. I think originally I, I was actually experimenting like what art, kind of article goes well there. Uh, so I'm not particularly proud of that one, but it's it's okay. There's a uh, there's others that I looked back on and I said. I'm not going to take this down, but I really don't agree with this very much anymore. And so I didn't include those. And there was a couple that I just thought were poorly written. And the process of editing them was just changing them so much that I, I just realized it, there, there was no point. And so I think from the first draft of the book to the final draft, I ended up cutting about you know, about maybe 30%. The book was 30% longer. Uh, so I really just wanted to to focus on the, the things that I, one, think had s still relevant today because, you know, this is covering a long period of time. And the other things I wanted to keep in were things that, you know, I may not, I'm, I'm, my thinking has evolved, of course, over the time that this span, the time span that this covers. But... I wanted to be able to stand behind those words that I'm publishing, even if I'm going to maybe, you know, give them a little bit of a caveat. Well, I still generally agree with that. I put this tweak on it. So that, that's how I chose what, what went in and what didn't go in. So thank you for your questions, please. Uh, I love answering your questions. Can send them to contact at itdependsbook.net and I will answer them. You can, I think... Reply to them on Substack as well. I'm still figuring that out. You can, I believe, send me questions on Spotify on the podcast links. And uh, theoretically, I should see them. But the email's the, the easiest way to go. So thanks again, and I will see you in two weeks.
Thanks so much for listening. Please, again, subscribe, rate, share episodes of this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again. I'll see you soon. Thanks to Answer Staple for the music in this podcast. This podcast is a production of Unit Circle Media.